I've noticed a number of peculiar incidents among the members of the student body, all having to do with rock and roll music. Now, if you don't think this song is the greatest song ever, I will fight you. Hey, it's spring, which means rain, warmer temperatures, flowers, and one other certainty, tax day. I'm Greg Cott. And I'm Jim DeRogatis. We'll help you beat the tax day blues with a great soundtrack. And later, PJ Harvey is back with a new album, and Greg takes a trip to the tax haven on the desert island. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions, Greg, and later in the show, we are going to review the ninth studio album by P.J. Harvey. We've uh, been fascinated by her throughout her career, but a weird origin story for this new record, the Hope Six Demolition Project. (laughs) It was apparently inspired by a car tour of Washington, D.C. that a reporter for the Washington Post gave Polly Jean Harvey when she was visiting that city. You know, as journalists and critics, we think we never inspire (laughs) anything ever except for hate mail. Exactly. A journalist and a rock star collaborating. Imagine that. That's going to be later on in the show, Jim, but first we've got some music news. Piece by piece, restore my faith. That a man can be and a father, and a father should be great. That is piece by piece by Kelly Clarkson in a return visit to the show that gave her her start, Jim, American Idol. Imagine 15 years ago, Kelly Clarkson, nobody knew who she was. Within a matter of months, by appearing on this television show, brand new in 2002 during that season, she becomes a major star, the first of uh, several major stars created by American Idol, a juggernaut that dominated American television for 15 years. Now, apparently, it's going off the air for good. At its height in 2006, 31, 32 million people a week Mm. were viewing this show. It was event television, everybody in the industry said. People would gather together in groups to watch and to cheer. It didn't start out as an instant hit. Summer of 2002, a mere 10 million viewers at first. It caught on slowly, but at its height, 2006, through the 2011 season, it was the number one show on television. And Mm -hmm. like I said, people were marking their calendars for each episode. You and I have our problems with this show as critics. You have eloquently stated that this is the birth of the Broadway musical style of singing <laughs> pop music. Maybe not the birth of it, but certainly a celebration of it, saying this is the way you need to sing, kids, in order to have a pop hit these days. And it sort of reinforced that whole idea of over-emoting, stretching a note you know, every possible which way you could, yeah, turning yeah. it into taffy. But there's no doubt that it took music on television to a whole new level. When I think of music on television, initially at least, it was MTV in the 80s and 90s defining it. But this was a show that not only the kids watched, but mom and dad too, and grandma and grandpa. It was like a a family experience. We gotta tune in, American Idol's on. It's a live experience. Why do you think that the ratings for this last season, the 15th, 
were down to where the ratings in the first season were. To me, that's not so much surprising as the fact that it lasted for 15 years. That's extraordinary by television standards. I mean, it had all these spin-off shows, X Factor, America's Got Talent, which was sort of based on the same kind of idea. The Voice Now is you have going The Voice, strong, yeah. which is going strong again. So there is a yearning for this kind of programming. But I think, you know, after 15 years, uh, every, everything runs its course, and I think it became too narrow-niched, actually. This type of singing that it celebrated, that made stars of people like Carrie Underwood and Kelly Clarkson, is no longer the coin of the realm. I, I think, you know, the fact that it's not really kept up with hip-hop, for example, yeah. is probably a big, you know, Achilles heel for this show. Well, right and now. let's not forget, you know, Jennifer Hudson came in seventh on her season. Mm. Seventh. She didn't win, and she's probably the best talent that ever was on the show, I would say. What are your thoughts about American Idol? Are you going to miss it? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Give us a call on our hotline. Leave us your opinion. 888-859-1800. All right. I won't tell the man at the IRS. His old boy, tell him had enough. The way the big man rakes it in. The little man You're listening to Sound Opinions, and that is Johnny Paycheck with me and the IRS. Johnny Paycheck, best known for take this job and shove it, right? It's something we'd all like to do on certain days at least, but we can't because we have to pay the rent. And sometimes paying the rent is difficult because we also have to pay the government. Now, obviously, tax day is looming. Uh, Taxes and money and finance are on our minds. These are not subjects we enjoy, but music makes everything more tolerable, or at least gives us a form of catharsis. And you realize how many songs have been written about human interaction as sort of this currency, you know, materialism taking over or dominating a relationship, you know, the wealth of one person versus the other, determining whether or not that relationship can last. There have been hundreds, thousands of songs written about this subject because obviously money is important to us. And I'm going to go to one of what I feel should have been one of the first hip-hop songs about bling. I mean, it was written in the Tin Pan Alley Broadway era in the 40s by a pair of songwriters, Julie Stein and Leo Robin, for a Broadway play, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, originally sung by Carol Channing, and then later on most famously by Marilyn Monroe in the movie of the same name. I'm not going to subject you to those versions, although they have a (laughs) certain camp appeal. Carol Channing kind of rocks. Yeah, yeah. But years later, decades later, T-Bone Burnett, best known as the famous producer and sidekick of Bob Dylan, did a fabulous version of this song on a 1982 EP called Trap Door. He completely nailed not only the cynicism behind this song, but also the campiness of it. There was a little wink in his eye as he was performing this song. And not only that, he married it to a great groove that I think Gene Vincent would have admired, you know, bebop lula that mm-hmm. kind of thing. He completely nailed what this song was all about. And, and Marilyn Monroe understood it as well, but the whole idea of bling being more important than the person wearing it is essential to understanding this song, and I think a deep insight into a lot of human interaction over the centuries. Here's T-Bone Burnett's version of the Broadway hit Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend on Sound Opinions. Thank you. 
kiss on the hand may be quite continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. Kiss may be grand, but it won't pay the rental on your humble flat or help you at the auto mat. Men grow cold, these girls grow old. We all lose our charm in the end. But square cut or pear shape, these rocks don't lose their shape. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. Let's rock. Come a time when the last needs a lawyer. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. There may come a time when a hard-boiled employer thinks you're awful nice, but get that ice or else no dice. He's your guy. Stocks are high, but beware when they start to descend. It's then that those louses go back to their spouses. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. 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 Let's rock again. Bone Burnett telling us that diamonds are a girl's best friend on Sound Opinions. We've got cash on the brain, Jim, money on the brain, <laughs> tax days looming. What have you got for us next in that vein? Well, Greg, I think any consideration of great music about taxes or money has to start with a Tax Man by the Beatles. From the Revolver album, one of the uh, first really significant contributions from George Harrison as a songwriter. Now, this always has has seemed jarring to many people. Harrison, the spiritual Beatle, Mm -hmm. the one (laughs) least concerned about the material world, singing, you know, very specifically, if you drive a car, I'll tax the street. If you try to sit, I'll tax your seat. If you get too cold, I'll (laughs) tax the heat. If you take a walk, I'll tax your feet. Now, there was a long tradition in the 60s and 70s of superstar British rockers being very angry at the uh, very heavy-handed UK system of taxation. That's why you have the Rolling Stones going to the south of France to record Exile mm-hmm. on Main Street. You know, you have Pink Floyd getting out of Dodge and recording a song called Money. The Beatles were capitalists. They wanted to keep their money. But I don't think this is what Harrison is really doing in this song. I think... This is the first time in the Beatles canon where you have one of those musicians very vocally and with considerable anger questioning authority. You know, the key line for me in Taxman is, don't ask me what I want it for. Right? Mm-hmm. This is a time of the waning days of British imperialism. America is at war, hurtling toward war in Vietnam. Harrison is questioning, if I'm going to give you some of my money, what are you going to do with it? You know, And the response from government is, don't ask me what I want it for. That's what it is. This is a protest song, as mm-hmm. much as Bob Dylan or as much as a lot of those John Lennon angry political songs that would come later. Plus, you know, I mean, it's like the greatest guitar riff of all time, okay? Mm-hmm. Here's the Beatles with Taxman. One, two, three, 
Man by the Beatles on Sound Opinions. Greg, I think it's going to be hard to top that, but I'm eager to hear what you got next. Jim, the next song I'm going to play I think is going to resonate with people because we've all felt this way at one time or another. Fenton Robinson's Somebody Loan Me a Dime. <laughs> Sometimes when you're filing those tax returns, you just need a few extra cents to make this payment. Fenton Robinson really nailed it with this song. He was a Mississippi-born blues man, came to Chicago in the early 60s, and cut this as a single in 66. It was a huge regional hit, sold about 150,000 copies. Boss Gaggs covered it a couple of years later, a famous version, about a 10-, 12-minute version, that he had with Dwayne Allman on guitar, one of the classic Dwayne Allman guitar solos. Unfortunately, forgot to credit Fenton Robinson on the original album, and a court fight ensued. Fenton won, as he should have, ended up reclaiming the song by re-recording it for Alligator Records in in the mid-'70s, and that's the classic version I'm going to play here. The thing I love about this song, you've got this rich baritone voice, a man suffering with a certain amount of dignity. I mean, there's no self-pity here, but at the same time sounding incredibly forlorn. Back in the day when you did have to pay a dime for a phone call, you didn't have cell phones. And he's so down on his luck, he doesn't even have a single dime to make this phone call to his old time used to be. Fenton Robinson, Somebody Loan Me a Dime on Sound Opinions. (laughs) 
That was Somebody Loan Me a Dime from Fenton Robinson, one of my favorite songs to play while I'm filing for Uncle Sam. After the break, we're going to be back with more songs about all things money and taxes, plus a review of a new album by alternative singer-songwriter P.J. Harvey. That's In a Minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And in this episode, we are all about the money. We are choosing songs in honor of the impending tax day. Greg, I led off with Taxman by the Beatles. No place to start but that tune. But there are plenty of others. Actually, two months before Revolver came out, the Kinks issued their face-to-face album in 1966. Fellow Britpop pioneers along with the Beatles, you know, and Ray Davies being one of the masterful sociological observers of all time. Sunny Afternoon. If you know the song at all, you might be thinking, what does that have to do with money and taxes? I don't quite get it. But if you look at Davies' lyrics, the tax man's taken all my dough and left me in my stately home, lazing on a sunny afternoon. Mm-hmm. And I can't sail my yacht. He's taken everything I got. I'm lazing on a sunny afternoon. It's not a wistful celebration of lounging around in the sun. He's got nothing left and nowhere mm-hmm. to go. He's probably going to get kicked out of that home shortly. He was a rich man, and now he's got nothing. A great song about the joys of paying taxes on Sound Opinions. Kinks, Sunny Afternoon. The tax man's taken all my dough And left me in my stately home Blazing on a sunny afternoon I can't sail my yacht He's taken everything I got All I've got this sunny afternoon Save me, save me, save me from this squeeze I got a big fat mama trying to break me So pleasantly Live this life of luxury Lazing on a sunny is the kinks with sunny afternoon greg you got another money song i do jim i was thinking a lot about 90s hip-hop when we were talking about doing this as a theme show and the influx of cash into the hip-hop world in the 90s and how it influenced the kind of music that was made the epitome of that was uh, the notorious big with mo money mo problems you yeah know? ain't that the truth you get more of it in there more people want a pca and the next thing you know you've got a whole other level of turmoil in your life that's true 
What happens if you don't have any money? How do you acquire it? How do you acquire it, especially when you're a young African-American struggling in the ghetto to get a job, a legitimate job, a paying job? When those jobs are few and far between, what do you have to resort to? In the case of many of these inner city young black men, you know, it was a life of crime. And that's what the Wu-Tang Clan was talking about on its debut album from 1993 in the song I'm going to play next. The Wu-Tang Clan, nine-member collective of MCs, without a doubt, to my mind, the greatest collection of MCs under one roof ever made in, in, in the hip-hop world. All extremely talented guys, all spun off solo careers after this record came out. But the first album that the Wu-Tang Clan put out, 36 Chambers, still one of the great East Coast hip-hop albums ever made. And this is one of the key singles from it. Cream, otherwise known as Cash Rules Everything Around Me. Mm. Method Man says that in the chorus. And two great verses here, one by Raekwon and another by Inspector Deck. Inspector Deck talks about this idea, you know, I had to go to dealing drugs to, to make ends meet. I ended up in jail at the age of 15 when what I found out is that my life was like that prison cell. So there was a lot of recognition here about the price of this lifestyle that they've chosen. And at the same time, the almighty dollar ruling their decisions. The Wu-Tang Clan with cream on Sound Opinions. I grew up on the crime side, the New York Times side. Staying alive was no job. Had second hands. Moms bounced on old men. So then we moved to Shaolin land. A young dude, you're rocking the gold tooth. Low goose, only way I begin to G-York was drug loot. And let's start it like this, son. Rolling with this one and that one. Pulling out gats for fun. But it was just a dream for the team who was a fiend. Started smoking moves at 16. And running up in gates and doing hits by high stakes. Making my way on fire skates. No question I was speed for cracks and weed. The combination made my eyes bleed. No question I would flow off and try to get the dough off. Sticking up white boys on board boards. My life got no better. Same damn low sweater. Times is rough and tough like leather. Figured out I went the wrong route. So I got with a sick ass click and went all out. Catching keys from cross seas. Rolling in MPVs. Every week we make 40 G's. Yo, respect my Ahigo the tech notch. the Wu-Tang Clan with cream. Cash rules everything around me on Sound Opinions. And uh, yes, cash is the big theme of today's show, Jim. What do you got next? I got a song from Johnny Cash. There you go. Another man, like Inspector Deck, who knew what it was like to be imprisoned with a 1978 song. Fairly late in his career, the I Would Like to See You Again album 
The song is called After Taxes. Really specific image in this song of Cash getting, quote, that little brown envelope mm-hmm. with his week's work wages in there. And looking inside, I peep inside, Lord, I lose all hope from those total wages earned down to the net amount that's due. That feeling of like, all right, I'm getting paid today. It's payday, right? That's all there is, really? (laughs) Even Johnny Cash knew that feeling well. Here is the man in black with After Taxes on Sound Opinions. I feel so good, (laughs) come payday. I think of all the things I'm going to buy when I pick up my pay, don't you know? But then they hand me that little brown envelope. I peep inside, Lord, to lose all hope. Cause from those total wages earned down to that net amount that's due, I feel a painful sense of loss between the two. Mm-hmm. There goes that bracelet for her arm. Mm-hmm. There goes that new fence for my farm. There goes that brand new Pontiac mm-hmm. There goes the shirt right off my back You can dream about a honeymoon for two You can dream but that's about all you can do Cause by the time old Uncle Sam gets through with you can buy her a pair of hose, a little powder for her nose, and take her down to Sloppy Joe's for beer and stew. Them are the facts. After tax, you can dream about vacations in the sun. You can dream, but you can't ever have you one. Cause by the time your good old Uncle Sam gets done You've got just enough for gas To see them city limits pass And if you get back home fourth class I'd say you've won Federal tax There goes that bracelet for her arm Cowdy mm, tax There goes that new fence for my farm Mm, luxury tax Send back that shortwave radio mm. That is Johnny Cash with After Taxes on Sound Opinions Greg, what have you got next? Jim, I'm going to play three versions of what I think is one of the greatest songs ever written about the almighty dollar Money, that's what I want The song was originally written in 1959 in the very earliest days of the Motown record label in Detroit, just as it was starting. In fact, this was the song that put Motown on the map. And, you know, they're in a room together, much as they did in the early days with Motown, writing songs. Barry Gordy's there, Barrett Strong, the piano player and vocalist is there, and they're riffing on ideas. They hear this piano chord and it comes along and they say, give me something, what are you thinking, what are you thinking? I want money, give me some money. 
And they said, that's great. Let's, let's write a song about that. That's what, that's what we want. It was a mission statement, of course, of where Motown wanted to be in a few very short years. And that's where they got. Later on, they would become more refined in the way they approached the songwriting with people like Holland, Dozier Holland and Smokey Robinson writing these very crafted songs. But this was just an explosion of desire and need and ambition encapsulated in this one song. Then... A few years later, the Beatles covered it. John Lennon's vocal in this 1963 recording of that song ended up on their second album. I think in a lot of ways captures the Beatles' own ambition and ups the ante even to a greater degree. I mean, Lennon's voice says, I will kill if I have to in order to get to this place that I want to be. And it's interesting, in the third verse, he also throws in a line, I want freedom. He wants it all. The world is spread out in front of the Beatles, and they are going for it. And finally, in 1979, this little art punk band out of England, the Flying Lizards, did a fabulously twisted version. There is no desperation. It is just jaded and blasé over pots and pans percussion. This sense of, you know, I've seen it all, I've done it all, and I still want it all, but you don't matter anything to me. The only thing I care about is this financial gain that I'm going to get through any relationship that I have with you. A perfect way to usher in the greed is good 1980s, the Gordon Gecko decade, right? So here's three different versions of a fantastic song. We're going to string them together for you. First, you're going to hear Barrett Strong's Motown hit, then the Beatles cover version of it, then finally the Flying Lizards 1979 version on Sound Opinions. Money, that's what I want. The best thing
Money, That's What I Want from Barrett Strong, The Beatles, and The Flying Lizards on Sound Opinions. We're just about to wrap up our uh, cash money special for tax day. What do you got for us, Jim? Well, Greg, you gave us three versions of one song called Money. I've got one song with money in its title three times. Money, Mm. money, money by the great ABBA. One of the wealthiest bands in the history of popular music. Yeah. They have been offered, what, like hundreds of millions of dollars to reform for one gig. Mm-hmm. The uh, the songwriting royalties from that incredible string of hits they had in the 70s, it's got to power or overpower the economies of many small countries. <laughs> Those guys are rolling in the dough. But in this song, they were complaining about... I work all day, I work all night to pay the bills, and I never have a single penny left for me. They're imagining what it is like to be poor in a rich man's world. What else is there to say? We're all there, I think. Money, Money, Money by ABBA on Sound Opinions. Money, money, money from ABBA on Sound Opinions. And that concludes our songs about taxes. We've said our piece, so now it's time to hear from you. What is your favorite song about taxes or money and why? Leave us a message at 888-859-1800. When we come back, we'll review the latest from PJ Harvey and Greg will take a trip to the desert island. 
That's in a minute from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX. back to Sound Opinions. That is a song called The Community of Hope by P.J. Harvey from her new album, The Hope Six Demolition Project, the ninth of a long and consistently fascinating career, Greg. Born on a sheep farm in rural England, her dad was a quarryman, her mother was an artist, self-taught musician, came into the public spotlight first in that magical year that we recently revisited on the show, 1991, the debut album Dry, the following year in 1992. We are now nine official albums and a sordid side project, other kind of releases from those origins. She's working, I think, with two of the artists uh, here who have been the mainstays throughout her career, at least since the early trio incarnation of P.J. Harvey as a band, producer Flood and John Parrish, the guitarist and and co-producer. An interesting backstory on this album, she traveled to Kosovo, Afghanistan, and Washington, D.C., very much still in the political mindset of uh, 2011's Let England Shake. Here, it's less global politics and more local. We mentioned that she was inspired by being driven around the slums of Washington, D.C. by a Washington Post journalist who wanted to open her eyes to this community revitalization program, tearing down old public housing and building better, newer public housing, but in the process, spurring gentrification because the people who were displaced were not going to be able to afford to move back in. I'm fascinated by any album that starts with such a strange inspiration. The question, as always, though, is what is Polly Jean Harvey doing musically and lyrically? Let's play another song from the album, and we'll come back and give our opinions. This is called The Wheel by PJ Harvey on Sound Opinions.
That is The Wheel from the new P.J. Harvey record, The Hope Six Demolition Project. I think P.J. Harvey's writing style has changed in, in the last few records. We certainly heard that in uh, the previous record, Let England Shake, in which he's sort of turning into storyteller historian mode. And there's yeah. a little bit of that here as well. Polly Jean Harvey as storyteller, telling modern tales about our world, looking outside the window to see what's going on around her and in the world, and, and coming back and reporting on it from a really personal standpoint. You know, when you think about a track like uh, The Community of Hope that we played about this devastated section of, of Washington, D.C., or the song that we just played, The Wheel, uh, inspired by a visit to Kosovo, this big, apparently carnival wheel that was observed there just turning around and around as a representation yeah. of the world just sort of spinning out of control. You know, one tragedy leads to the next tragedy to the next tragedy. And then she's got these songs about, like, with these titles, the Ministry of Social Affairs, <laughs> the Ministry of Defense, these implacable institutions sort of benignly watching all this disaster go down right outside their doors and, and not really doing anything about it. There's an emotional core to this record. And the music, too. Saxophone, the center of this record. You know, yeah. she's playing a lot of saxophone herself on this record. It's not what you would expect from a Polly Harvey record, and yet at the same time, I think it's an amazing Polly Harvey record. These melodies, these choruses kind of give you a sense of, of uh, n- if not triumph, certainly uplift, and at the same time, these really staggering stories at the heart of it when you listen to what she's singing about. Uh, this is a buy it record for me. Oh, it's an absolute buy it, Greg. Can you name any other artist who emerged in the early 90s in the alternative explosion who has been so consistently rewarding and continually challenging herself, reinventing herself. However, there are some callbacks to earlier P.J. Harvey. There is a bit of the theatricality of To Bring You My Love returning to her work, the political anger, as you said, as I noted, from Let England Shake, but it's more personal. Lyrically, we have to turn to somebody like Kendrick Lamar to find the kind of political storytelling in human terms that P.J. Harvey is doing. The one thing you didn't mention, and I'm glad because I want to talk about it, is the anthemic quality Mm -hmm. here. She has never been so grab your flag, stand on top of the (laughs) ramparts, and let's fight the man. These are war songs in the sense of let's rally our troops. Man, an amazing record. A most enthusiastic double by it. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as possible here on Sound Opinions, one of us takes a trip to the desert island, not to check in with our offshore tax-sheltered bank account, Greg, but to play you a song we can't live without from the Desert Island Jukebox. What do you got? Jim, I've got the Vulgar Boatmen, a band out of Florida slash Indiana in the 80s. The reason I was thinking about them was the 25th anniversary edition of their debut album, You and Your Sister, uh, came out a few months ago, and I started listening to that record, and then the follow-up, Please Panic, in 1992, which I think is an even better record. This band had sort of an interesting beginning. They, they uh, put out a couple of cassette-only uh, records in the early 80s, and it was basically a collaboration between a film professor 
at the University of Florida named Robert Ray. And one of his former students, Dale Lawrence, who was living in Indiana and playing in some punk bands, they merged their two bands. They, they actually had a touring band and a studio version of the band at one point. And they started making these, these wonderful records with a very sparse, stripped-down sound. Both of these guys were real students of, of early rock and roll and, and, and punk rock. You could hear the influence of everybody from Buddy Holly to the Velvet Underground to, you know, the modern lovers in their music. A little bit of feelies, too, one of your favorites, oh, yeah. Jim, as well as one of mine. Everything stripped back, the steady backbeat, the intertwining guitars. What I really loved, too, were the lyrics, very clear and yet enigmatic. There was a sense of tension uh, within those lyrics because of the way they were sung. Very cool, collected voice, but inside you could see this guy was falling apart. And the song I'm going to play illustrates that perfectly. It's one of their classics. It's called You Don't Love Me Yet. On the outside, very restrained. Hey, I'm just thinking about this girl. And inside, he's falling apart. Don't think out loud. Don't concentrate. That's not working so far. It's after dark. Radio's off. She's sitting in the back of her car. Mm. You can fit yourself into all sorts of scenarios there. What's happening here? Why is he thinking about this girl all this time? They don't seem to be together yet. He's thinking they may fall in love, but probably not. There's all sorts of holes in this narrative, and that's exactly the way they want to leave you with this uncertainty. It's a beautiful song about uncertainty. It's called You Don't Love Me Yet from the Vulgar Boatmen on Sound Opinions.
the vulgar boatman. You don't love me yet. Greg Cott's Desert Island Jukebox pick. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we've got an in-depth conversation with one of the architects of modern pop music, producer and record company executive L.A. Reid. As always, Sound Opinions is produced by Robin Lynn, Evan Chung, Alex Claiborne, and our intern, Libby Gornley. I'm in the phone with this one across the hall. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. My name's Aaron. I am calling from Chicago, and I am looking forward to a few festivals this summer. I understand what you're saying about them all being the same, but if you are only located in one city like Chicago, it offers the best variety for people who are looking to see a group or individual that is very familiar or to explore other groups or individuals. You go for one day and you get the best of both worlds. It's beautiful to be outside. Bands like playing specific places. And so for people like me who go for the band, it is a very economically and um, time-sensitive way to get a fantastic experience. Thank you, and goodbye. Hey, Jim and Greg. This is John Fenner Mays calling you from beautiful Humboldt Park in Chicago. I moved to Chicago in October of 87, and within a few years, I discovered 11 Dream Day within this thriving indie rock scene at that time in Chicago. And pretty quickly became a huge fan, and of course would remain a fan uh, till this very day. But I remember specifically a, uh, a double bill in the early 90s at Metro where the Jayhawks opened. I believe it was the first time the Jayhawks had ever even played in Chicago, opened for 11 Dream Day, and what a smoking show it was. Great performances from both bands, and, uh, and how fortunate I was to be able to see so many great bands come to Chicago, particularly at Metro. But anyway, to me, 11th Dream Day, besides being one of the most criminally underappreciated bands of the, of the last 30 years, Dream Day was always an amalgam between Neil Young and Crazy Horse and the Velvet Underground and X. And I just couldn't be more thrilled that you uh, finally decided to have the guys on your show, because I know that Greg Cott has always been a huge fan, particularly of, of 11th Dream Day. So anyway, thanks, guys. So glad you, uh, you had Rick and Janet and Doug on the, uh, on the program. Keep it up. Enjoy listening. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Asleep, chain awoke. Her mind was clear as she reached for the road. Ambulance blues filled the room. Confusion everywhere, but still the flowers bloom. Hello, my name is Claire. I'm calling from Nashville, Tennessee. I just wanted to say that I'm giving up on you guys. Only about one out of ten of your programs is ever really good, and tonight's was awful, and I'm not sure why you think that indie rock bands have any talent whatsoever. They don't. I'm not sure why you think that 11th Dream Day has any talent. Their lyrics were horrible. They were boring. They said absolutely nothing. There was no message in their lyrics, 
any kindergartner could have written what those guys write. And the music all sounds like any other rock band of the era, loud noise, no talent. So the only good song I heard on your program tonight was Tori Amos' beautiful song. I get a little warm in my heart when I think of winter. I put my hand in my father's clothes. Why don't you have shows about people with talent? It would be so enjoyable. You guys must have been born in the 80s because your program was just plain boring. Everybody knows that people from the 80s have absolutely no ability to discern what's good music and what's bad music. All their music was bad, obnoxious to listen to. Thanks. I'm giving up. Bye-bye. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX. Everybody's talking like a storm